our reading of Scripture this morning, we'll be reading from Acts chapter 17, the first 15 verses. So that'll be Acts 17. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on the three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Jews, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and they and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down, these men who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money from as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived... They went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them believed, with not a few women of high standing, not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Good morning to each of you all, and uh, welcome to our time of considering God's Word. This morning, we want to look specifically at 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And the title of this sermon is Testing the Spirits. Uh, the passage from Acts there uh, gives us two different versions of this reality. In the one, the Thessalonian, or the Thessalonian Jews um, did not consult the Scriptures. They did not consider what Paul preached. They considered their political structures. They considered their religious structures, and Paul violated them, and so they rioted against him. But the passage then says that the Brians weren't like that. 
They heard what Paul said, and then they went to Scripture, and they sought out, is what this man's saying true? And when they did so, they realized that what he was saying was true, and they followed him. And so if, if I'm going to if I'm going to boil this down to one statement, I think I would say that a Christian life is a discerning life. A Christian life is a discerning life. And we'll look at what that looks like. Again, our text is 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. This particular passage is relatively simple in its content. Um, There really is no hidden meanings or uh, kind of deep theological ideas. John is pretty straightforward in what he's trying to tell us. And so he gives us some instructions, and we'll kind of walk through a number of them here. The first that he gives us is, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. If you are God's child, if your faith is in Christ, then you're not to believe everything that comes down the pipe. Now, in this case, when, when, when John uses the word spirit, he, he's not talking about a, uh, a mystical heavenly being or something like that. He's simply talking about a proclamation of an idea. You could probably insert that word there. Do not believe every idea or every teaching or every individual and what they proclaim to say. We're to be discerning. The Christian life is to be a discerning life. And part of that discerning is that we don't just believe everything we hear. And so for you this morning, you're not just to believe what I say. You're not just supposed to take at face value what I say. And what we'll get into a little bit later, what your responsibility is. 
And the reason he says not to believe every spirit is because he promises that there's going to be many false prophets that have gone out into the world. The reason we don't believe every spirit, the reason we don't believe every idea, is because there are some false ideas flying around the world. And as he says later in the passage, they're of the world. And being they're of the world, the world likes them. And so we shouldn't be surprised that there are these ideas um, going around and, and being sometimes very prominent. There are those who are going to teach a gospel that is different from Jesus' gospel. There are those in our world who are going to teach a gospel that's different from Jesus' gospel. And it's been this way from the beginning. One of the things that bothers me is this this sort of return to early church Christianity. Because somehow they were closer to Jesus and they had it more figured out than we did. Well, it's quite interesting that you find all of the heresies that we find in the church today, you find in the time of the apostles. Okay, so if we can get it wrong, they can get it wrong, and they did get it wrong. So those who were followers of Jesus before the the scriptures were even fully written were already putting out these worldly ideas, or those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And so these... This need to be discerning started then as well. One of the primary primary heresies that we see throughout history is this idea of Gnosticism, and I think I've spoken about it before um, there in chapter 1. But this idea of Gnosticism really is the source of all other heresies. And the the Gnostics basically replaced Jesus and the centrality of Jesus with the centrality of self. And this has been done in numerous ways across history. But primarily, someone is going to first claim some sort of mystical insight, some direct connection with God, some extra thing that they have that you don't have. And since they have that, then you ought to listen to them. But it's also, it's also that self-centered idea has borne itself out in many different, many different heresies. And so the Gnostics appeared even before much of the New Testament was written because much of it was written to counter those heresies. First uh, John specifically is to counter the heresy of the Gnostics. And so the false prophets have gone out into the world, even directly after the time of Jesus. And so we see them there. We see them moving on through history. We see um, within the Catholic world the runaway popes who use spiritual authority to enrich and empower themselves. In the time of Martin Luther, we see them promising eternal life in exchange for money. Again, that, that seems like a pretty reasonable idea, doesn't it? Wouldn't that be much easier than denying yourself and taking up your cross and following? Here, have a thousand dollars and it'll take care of it. We also see these spirits or ideas in the modern world. 
And I'd like to take a little bit of time just to touch on a couple of those uh, kind of general ideas. What are the what are some of these false prophets or these ideas that we should be aware of? The first is uh, a sort of easy believism. I think as a I kind of struggle with the word to use for this, but I think that covers it. Christianity is is not about placing yourself under the lordship of Christ. It's not about placing your hope and, and faith in Christ. It's, it's about what feels and seems right to you. This e- easy believe- believism highlights the helpful and the loving nature of God. And God exists to bring fulfillment and happiness to you. And that's his primary purpose. Within easy believism, my feelings trump what Scripture says. And easy believism places the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God. And that's a, a, a concurring theme that we'll find in, in all of these false prophecies, is that they generally place the wisdom and understanding of man over that of God. In easy believism, certainty is found in how one feels about God. So if I, if I feel good about my relationship with God, if I can find things that make me feel happy about God, then that's, that's where I place my trust and certainty. And so I'm always looking for something that, that feels good and sounds good and, and makes me happy. I think the second false idea we see is a, a kind of a harsh fundamentalism. That's not entirely the word I went there, but I couldn't find any others. And this is a Christianity that's all about adherence to a system. It highlights the instruction and the judgment of God. In this idea, the system trumps Scripture. In reality, it places as well the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God, the wisdom of man to create this perfect structure, this perfect way of living. And if we just do things that way, then we can have certainty. If we follow the structure, if we live in the structure, then we can have certainty that everything is okay. Thirdly, in our world, quite prevalently, we find the relativist or the postmodernist. And within this, it's all about personal experience. What's true for you may not be true for me. What's good and right for me might not be good and right for you. You're to chart your own path. And this highlights the inclusiveness of God. Within this, individualism trumps Scripture. And it places the wisdom of man over the wisdom of God by placing certainty within one's own being and one's own thoughts. And these are just some of the spirits that we face in our time. And there are many others. One of the things that you may notice in all three of those is that they're somewhat true. God is inclusive. God does call all men to himself. God does propose a right and a wrong way of living. 
and a very structured way to live and behave. God does care about how you feel. He is about drawing you with his love and with his goodness. But what happens in many of these false prophecies, if we want to call them that, is that they take one portion of truth and build a skyscraper there. And they're not grounded in the wide breadth of scriptural truth that brings, um, that brings orthodoxy, if we want to say. And so the question we should ask about these, and a question I think John would have had his people ask, is why are these ideas, spirits, prophecies, why are they so attractive to us? Or, why are they so attractive to the world? And so again, it's probably difficult for us to see these things within ourselves, but we can look at that church and we can say, those people have that false idea, and those people have that false idea. And why is this, why are any of these ideas so attractive? We also look at... um, some movements, and we think they're going after a certain thing, and we think it's not entirely correct. But yet, we see the world following them. We see people being drawn into those ideas. And verse 5 informs us. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. You see, there's attractiveness within all of us towards these things because of our sinful nature that we are to be working against. And so, the world speaks these ideas into our lives, and we like them. None of us is is happy with the fact that I must deny myself and place myself under the Lordship of Christ. If we can find another alternative to that, it's pretty easy for us to take those alternatives. And so, what is the solution that John gives us to um, this, this common draw of our hearts and our minds away from orthodoxy? And in verse 1, he says, Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Again, a Christian life is a discerning life. We're to be testing these ideas. We're to be continually testing, what do I hear? What am I reading? What am I seeing? Is it true? Does it represent what God says ought to be? Is it faithful to Scripture? So as Christians, we're to be going out through, we're to be going through our lives looking, is this genuine? Is this true? One of the things that the internet has given us is uh, fake items. Because now one can buy something from afar, and it matters what the pictures say, right? That's That's how you decide. And certain groups of people are getting pretty sophisticated at this, and... You'll see a, a, a video 
advertisement selling a watch or a knife or something like that. And uh, one particular one that I'm aware of has a Samsung watch, and it has all the details about it. But when you click on it, you know, the Samsung one is $300. The one for $30 is definitely not the Samsung watch. But how do you know? How do you know from a distance? Well, generally, there's a trademark. There's a label. There's the way it's created. And if you're familiar with those things, then the counterfeit doesn't even look remotely close. And so, in the realm of ideas, or the spirits, as this text says, it is your duty to be doing this. It is your duty to be considering everything that comes into your mind. Is this true? Is this reconciled with Scripture? As we saw in Acts 17, Paul commends the Bereans because they did not listen to him without going back to Scripture, without saying, does this teaching line up with what we know to be true? Or does it line up with the source of truth? And so John gives us the criteria. What are the things we look at to determine if something is true? Now, verse 2 says, by this you know. This is how you're going to know if, if the teaching is original, if it's genuine. And this is the, the thing that you hold up to every teaching to ask, is it true? And so John's criteria, is Jesus central? If someone comes proposing you a Christianity, proposing you a way to understand God, John says the way you know is if Jesus is central. Do they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God? Is Jesus and the message of the gospel at the core of our ideas? Now, personally, I find it quite interesting that he does not say that Jesus has died and been risen, that Jesus bore the penalty for sin and was resurrected. He doesn't say that. And here is a, a bit of apologetics, if you wish to say. That fact that Jesus died and was resurrected was assumed. It was even assumed by the Gnostics. Because if you read their writings, they're all trying to argue how Jesus dying and rising from the dead, not that it didn't happen, but how it meant something different from what Orthodox Christianity said it did. And so they would say things like this, that what Jesus was just a normal human, and when he was baptized, God's presence came upon him, and he became divine at that point. But then in the Garden of Gethsemane, that divine nature left, and Jesus' human body died and was resurrected. But God himself didn't suffer. God himself didn't bear sinfulness. Notice within that, they're not denying that Jesus died and was resurrected. Because again, as Paul says, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. This was, in their time, an assumed reality. And so John is, is poking at a different thing. He says, no, 
It's not good enough just to believe that Jesus died and was resurrected, but you must believe that he was divine, that he came from God, and that he came in the flesh from God, so that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Again, from an apologetics standpoint, they're not arguing about Jesus dying and being risen. So the first question that you need to ask of every teaching, of every teacher, of every blog post, of every book, does this teaching compel that Jesus is the Messiah? That he came from God, that he died, and that he bore our sin, and that our way to reconciliation with God is through Jesus. Is that at the center of the Spirit? It's the first thing you need to ask of every sermon, of every Sunday school class, of everything that you believe to be true. Does it represent Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as central. I think if we're considering that, then we often consider, so how do I do this? How do I make this the foundation of my discerning? Well, like the Bereans, you must test every spirit. Again, we cannot listen to anything without attempting to determine its truth claim. And believe it or not, every statement is a truth claim. Think about an advertisement. Uh, Whether you see it online, whether you see it in print, whether you see it on TV or anything like that, what is an advertisement? Every advertisement makes a truth claim. They do. So um, I saw a well-known chef um, being a representative for toothpaste. And he drinks coffee. He drinks all sorts of things that would stain your teeth. And then he gets out this toothpaste and he makes his teeth white again, right? You know what his truth claim is? His truth claim is, is that if you have white, sparkly teeth, that you will be attractive. That's his truth claim. Look at any kind of car advertisement. Um, right now, I think one brand is trotting out their J.D. Power Awards that apparently they paid enough money for. Um, but they're making a truth claim. No, because of this secondary group saying that ours is better than ours is better. Every message that's coming into your life is making a truth claim. Now, we don't have to discriminate all of them to... Um, to see if they represent Christ. But if it's a truth claim that we're going to receive and shape our life after and pattern our life towards, it had better have Jesus at the center. And so we must test every spirit, every truth claim. Another example we have from the Bereans is that it appears they knew their scriptures. And that, I believe, is the second way to develop this sense. If you are not regularly searching the Scriptures, 
if you are not regularly placing them in your heart, in your mind, if you are not regularly asking Scripture to shape your understanding of truth, then you will have no anchor to keep you from these ideas. You will have no discernment. You can't rely on your church for this. You can't rely on your parents for this. You can't rely on your culture for this. Yes, all of those are a wonderful benefit and are integral in passing on faithful discernment. But you cannot do discernment by proxy. You cannot do discernment in somebody else's mind and mouth. You must do discernment in your own heart, in your own mind. And the primary way to do that is to have God's Word regularly present in your life. To be continually asking Scripture, what do you mean? How are you revealing Christ to me? You must develop an understanding of God's truth in your own heart and mind. The importance of this is borne out in verse 4. You are from God and have overcome them. So John is saying that if we are from God and if God's presence is within us, then we've overcome the brokenness of the world. We've overcome the evil spirits. And then he says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And here we have a coffee coffee cup verse. Uh, We've seen this phrase all over the place. Now, it doesn't mean that Now, because God is inside of you that you are great, or any of those things, it it simply means that if you take the truth of Christ into your life, if you develop this understanding of God taught by the Word, understood in community, that that is then what protects you against these ideas. Because that Word in you is greater than the Word that's in the world. That truth that is now in you, because you've applied yourself and you've studied, is now greater than the truth claims that are in the world. If Christ is central, is central in your life, then that is your protection from these varying ideas and prophecies that call you away from Christ. Again, you can't outsource this. You can't live your Christian life through somebody else's faithfulness or somebody else's ideas. It has to be you and yours. The final two verses then say, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So again, it's an identity. Those who are open to the spirit of God, those who are open to a Christ-centered gospel, they are from God. Those who teach it are from God. 
Those who do not are not from God and have a spirit of error. This morning, I would challenge you to consider where in your life are you regularly adjusting your discerner? If you are a Christian, you are called to discernment. To be a Christian is to be discerning. I think there's many ways that you can do this. There is Bible study that you can do on your own, reading and understanding. You can also do this as a community, and we encourage that. Um, I've seen numerous people kind of organically get together and consider the Word of God and the way it affects them, and we ought to be doing that as a community. If we're not regularly doing this, if we're not creating a way to do this in our life, then it's not going to happen. And so I would ask you to consider what are the ways you need to be doing this? And when can you start? The word of God, the truth of Christ, is that which protects us from evil and from false prophecy. And we must take it inside our own hearts and minds. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways in which it teaches us. Thank you for revealing to us yourself and your ways in the word. Father, I pray that as we consider this, that you would call us to ways in which we can further bring the word of God into our lives. That we would by the word, see Christ as central to our faith. Father, give us discerning minds and hearts. Our our world is proposing alternative truths. Our world is proposing many different ways to think about life. Father, I pray that you would help us to be discerning. That we could filter out those ideas that bring destruction ultimately and that we would plant our hope and our faith in your truth, which brings eternal goodness. Father, I pray that as a body, we would interact with each other around your word, that we would cause each other to see value in studying and understanding your word. Father, that it would bring about clear discernment, that by our interaction with your word, that we would be able to know which is genuine faith. We pray that you would lead us each individually and as a body in this. Father, our hope and faith is in, is in you. Our rescue from these ideas is in Christ, and I pray that our faith and trust would be in him alone. Do this in each of us for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.